0: The KM Community Podcast, bringing you stories from Kent's communities
1: every week.
0: Hello and welcome to the KM Community Podcast. I'm your host Oliver Kemp and I'll be bringing you the stories that matter at the heart of communities across the county. If you have a story you think needs to be told, just use the hashtag KM Community on social media or you can email me on o.kemp@thekmgroup.co.uk. at thekmgroup.co.uk. This week... Ebbsfleet Garden City is building a community from the ground up. The development is going to be the home for up to 30,000 people who will be living in the area. But what about schools? It's been announced that a new primary school will open next year, targeted at the children living in the area. Bearing in mind the development is so committed to building a cohesive community, what will the school's role be in this? To discuss, I'm joined by Joanne Wilkinson-Tabby, the head teacher of the Future School.
1: The KM Community Podcast.
0: So, Joanne, first off, welcome to the KM Community Podcast. Thank you. Uh, We spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about the ways that communities are brought together. How do you envisage your new new school doing that in the Garden City development?
1: Well, we are in a really fortunate position to be uh, there early on in the building scheme, and we have already uh, spent a lot of time working with residents and holding community events to... um, create relationships right from the outset. So we're looking at more of these. For example, this afternoon I'm going to be meeting local residents um, to talk about uh, my ideas for curriculum content and how we're going to bring uh, something different to Epsfleet Green and we will continue to work uh, with uh, the residents of Epsfleet.
0: Have you ever worked with a, to a brand new community like this before? One that's sort of being built from the ground up? Because it seems like a, it's a really interesting concept just starting from scratch with something.
1: No, I've never had this opportunity. Um, I have worked for a long time in education. So I feel that I am ready for such a great opportunity um, and I'm going to fully embrace it.
0: Yeah absolutely. Um, and so you talked there about how you want to reach out to the community and speak to people about how exactly you're going to make this school different. I mean tell us how, how exactly are you going to make this school different?
1: Okay so uh, it's maritime intent is to uh, create opportunities for children that they wouldn't ordinarily receive in other schools. So not alongside uh, knowledge and the uh, acquisition of knowledge through our curricula we aim to teach different skill sets. We're looking at developing life skills within children and functional skills, skills as alongside those um, academic uh, know-how um, and this we feel is really important. So all of our teaching and learning um, comes with, uh, with different skill sets and we are looking at how we can build outcomes into that to make it a real experience for our children. Mm.
0: Well those functional skills as well and, and a thing that people sometimes criticise about curriculum is that there's not enough to be done at an earlier enough level to make sure that kids have skills that they will then use going into adulthood. Things like understanding money and um, good sex education and things like that. So I mean what are some of the examples of, of those kind of functional skills that you want to bring into these, these, these future kids that will be coming to the school?
1: Okay, so what we believe in is that nobody knows what jobs our children are going to be uh, exposed to as they grow older. So we are looking at developing functional skills that enable our children to access learning independently, that they have functional skills that support metacognition, that they can uh, order and sort and classify information, they can utilise it in a meaningful and practical way. Um, And that we have life skills as well, which support their confidence and their ability to communicate. And um, just so that they can believe that they can achieve And alongside that, there's resilience as well.
0: Mm -hmm. And I suppose wanting to bring all of this together and create like a coherent school experience for these kids, that must be kind of, it's obviously down to you as the head teacher, but obviously down to to the people that you get in to teach these kids as well. So do you have to approach that slightly differently because you want to change change the way these kids are being taught slightly?
1: Absolutely, um, we are appointing staff in the new year and part of their induction will be to co-create a curriculum intent for EBSLETE Green which will be slightly different to our uh, other curricula in Maritime and this is because we really do want to um, harness the opportunities that working within a garden city will bring to us, um, so we are going to be looking at entrepreneurial uh, opportunities within the curriculum. So our new staff will be trained in um, creating a curriculum that is fit for purpose and we will also be looking at big outcomes. Uh, Big outcomes are opportunities for children to uh, bring together those skill sets so not only are they showing their expertise in uh, subject knowledge but they're also going to be sharing that with uh, parents and other members of the community and that's going to be developing their functional and life skills.
0: Interesting. Uh, entrepreneurial makes me think of like a, some sort of absolute Garden City dragon's den. <laughs>
1: uh, well, I've done that in our current school. Um, what we're actually probably going to be looking at is some sort of uh, fruit and vegetable business because we want to be utilising the allotments that we're going to have on site.
0: Oh, great allotments as well. So there's going to be an opportunity for these kids to grow vegetables and fruit and things like that. Uh,
1: yes, we're still in the planning process of Ebsfleet Green. We're at the final stages now. We're just going through agreement for that. And we are definitely going to have a lot of land, and we will be utilising it uh, effectively to include outdoor learning, and that will include allotments.
0: And on the flip side of um, having having kind of allotments and things like that there, and getting the outside stuff, I, I I mean I'm I'm saying this as someone who doesn't know loads and loads about the education system, and you're you're the expert here. But I, I imagine there's a quite a lot of pressure to. Um, make sure that there's enough technology within a school as well to make sure these kids, especially at primary level, are getting enough of an exposure to kind of you know up to date computers and things like that. Is that is that something that you've sort of got to balance out too?
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, technology will be uh, a part of our curriculum, a central part of our curriculum, um, and we will be u- utilising it to make learning opportunities better.
0: Because mm. I mean, you know, I I'm, imagine if you go if you went to a school that was that didn't have the access to that kind of technology, going to like a secondary school is going to be a big, uh, it's going to be a big change, no, isn't it, for one of those we would, kids? We
1: definitely, we're looking at uh, what computing we're going to have, uh, and it will definitely be uh, the most up to date uh, technology out there, um, and we will be taking advice on that. Mm.
0: Do you think it's. Um it makes it easier in some ways to start from scratch like this rather than inheriting old ideas and or, and, and people that have maybe been at school for a long time that are set in their ways. Is it easier for you to just go, no, this is a blank slate, I can start from scratch? Uh, uh,
1: <laughs> yes, it is. Um, I wouldn't say that necessarily older teachers are set in their ways, uh, but definitely we have a blank canvas and um, we will be looking at co-creating uh, everything that we are going to be doing at Absolute Green, so that our staff have a buy into that.
0: Mm. And um, I'm, I'm going to ask another question now. Again, not really knowing as much about the education system as perhaps I should, so I can use this as an as, a, as an opportunity. Um, at primary level, do you have more opportunity as an education provider to uh, to change the curriculum to to kind of mould it differently than you do when you get to secondary schools? Because secondary schools obviously has the GCSEs, and you need to be able to teach those in a certain way. Do you have more of an opportunity at the the slightly younger level to do something different?
1: What we are reliant on and what we uh, facilitate is teachers having the freedom to do what is set out in the curriculum, but in a creative and innovative way and we achieve that. So it isn't about uh, clawing down the curriculum, we understand the need for our children to have the knowledge requirements that are set out in the curriculum and we want our children to be ready for the next stage of their education and for their future lives. However, with the right practitioners, with the expertise, with the resources, with the curriculum intent, we know that we can go beyond the requirements of the national curriculum.
0: Yeah, and actually delivers other things that are going to really benefit these kids.
1: Absolutely, and that is in the design of the curriculum and in our teaching approaches and in our big outcomes.
0: Um, Do you think that... um, Well, so am I right in thinking that all of the children that are attending will be attending your school will be families from the Garden City?
1: Uh, we've uh well, because people are still moving into the Garden City and will be continuing to do that over the next few years, we have had applica- applications from uh further afield, but with the view to be moving into Epstein um Garden City.
0: And the idea is to kind of keep keep those and make sure that the kids that are going to this school are from are from that area specifically
1: it's a growing community obviously we're open uh, to applicants from anywhere uh, but uh, it is a growing community and we we expect to be full over time
0: I imagine that um, by doing that the school will hopefully become like a very important part of the community because if every single family is then connected because their kids are going to that school you've got quite an easy way of people talking and working together and if you guys are putting on events then people are coming to the event so I imagine that's quite a good way of sort of cohering a community like
1: that. Absolutely I personally believe that every school should be central to its community because uh, within a school there is opportunity to really reach out and uh, touch and uh, enable many many different people but at Fleet Green because of its location which is right in the middle of the uh, village we will definitely be able to have that community cohesion and uh, just a feel for belonging which I feel is really very important particularly in this day and age.
0: And do you think that the children living in this area because of this will have like a markedly different childhood experience because the community is, is, there's so much focus on making sure that community is being built, that they may have a different experience to other kids who who don't live in that kind of area?
1: Well, there will be opportunities for those children to uh, walk to school. We're going to be having a walking bus um and we're going to be encouraging uh the sustainable lifestyle and because of the location and the uh the nearness of everybody um there 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 should be ample opportunity for community um and i spoke about our big outcomes our big outcomes really will be events uh likely to uh draw in Uh, the wider community, and that will include parents and carers of our children, um, and that will be an opportunity for people to get together and to really celebrate their children's learning.
0: Mm. And you've talked about Maritime a little bit. So for the listeners that don't know, Maritime Academy Trust are basically behind the school. Uh, they're an education charity. Um, and for our listeners who don't know how these trusts work, is it significant that they're a charity? Does that kind of add up to a potentially better education for the pupils?
1: Uh, there are le- there are greater levels of accountability within any trust. Um, our vision, uh, at Maritime, is going to ensure that our children... Uh, receive what we truly believe in as a trust. So different trusts have different visions. Our vision at Maritime is one that will absolutely embrace the whole child. And that's what coming to a Maritime school will give our children. So it isn't only about the academia. It isn't only about knowledge acquisition. It is about relationships. It is about celebrating and developing those different skill sets. And it is about being part of a wider team. So the difference between working uh, within uh, possibly some other trusts, definitely uh, for a local authority, is that at Maritime we have lots of opportunities for collaboration. So um, in my current school, which is uh, Green Acres in Greenwich, we will be inviting Epsfleet Green pupils to our big outcome in July so that already will they will understand that they are part of a much bigger Team approach.
0: Mm-mm. And um, will the teachers that that be involved? Will they? Might they live quite close to the Garden City development?
1: Um, we are looking at uh, opportunities for teachers to either cycle or walk into school. Uh, we are a part of the building. Will be uh, will enable that. We've got showers, for example. Um, but. Obviously, we can't uh, we can't dictate where our teachers are going to be living, um, but we will be putting things in place to to facilitate that.
0: Mm-hmm. And um, so, obviously, this is this is school that's being planned for 2020-2021. twenty 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 one. I mean, Cherry Orchard Primary Academy opened up on the Garden City settlement in 2017. There's going to be a third on the Springhead Park development too. That's quite a lot of schools cropping up in one area. Why do you think the demand is so high for school places in North Kent?
1: Well, it's a completely new build and it's uh, going to be continue to build, be built over the next few years. And the type of housing there will attract uh, people with young families. Um so you know we have we have got children that will need to be in school it is a growing community um and it is a really exciting opportunity for um those things to happen
0: hm do you think the fact that uh, that north kent is so close to london and and it's it could become a more of a commuting hotspot is maybe part a- of the reason
1: Absolutely I mean absolutely uh, Green will be, I think it's a 17-minute walk from Epsley International, so therefore there's going to be greater links both into London and actually also internationally, um, and that's going to attract uh, commuters to the area.
0: Mm, mm. And um, sort of changing slightly, um, Joanne. So as someone who is at the heart of education, I'm sure you're no stranger to the criticisms of curriculum, the changes that it goes through, some of its shortcomings. Um, With our new Conservative government, it looks as if the Education Secretary could end up strengthening Ofsted, uh, the inspection body for for education. Do you welcome that change? Do you think that would improve schools?
1: Ofsted is a layer of accountability. I don't feel that we should, as a profession, fear Ofsted. Um, It gives us clear, they give us clear guidance as to what they're going to be looking for. I also don't believe that Ofsted should be dictating uh, policies that happen in schools. So that is a bit of a double-edged sword. However, I do believe that good leadership teams are able to uh, utilize what is given to them, and to make it better. So, if you're asking me if uh, find that you know money should go into Ofsted, I'm I'm not going to uh, agree with that. <laughs> uh, there are lots of other things that money could be spent on effectively within schools. However, if you're saying to me. Um, Should I be concerned about Ofsted? Uh, Absolutely not. Um, It is unfortunate though that within our system they do dictate uh, the direction of education and that possibly isn't best practice.
0: If it wasn't Ofsted would it be a different governing body then? Because people might say that if, if Ofsted wasn't there then there'd be a lack of accountability to ensure that schools that are kind of failing are, are, are being sort of pulled up so w- would it be an alternative model or would it just be a more hands-off approach
1: education is is very very complicated there has to be uh, layers of accountability that's why working in maritime trust really does support um, because uh, regardless of ofsted we have uh, teaching and learning reviews where uh, members of the team um, including senior leadership will come into uh schools and learn from one another, share best practice and advise. So uh, regardless of Ofsted, we have all of those layers of accountability in place. Data and SATS results are also analysed, but actually doing that after the fact is a little bit too late we look at data and teaching and learning practice and outcomes throughout the year. So I would argue that accountability within maritime schools is incredibly strong. Obviously, uh, we have to ensure that all of our children across the country are receiving the best education possible and there needs to be a way of checking that, Um, whether those checks Can be done within a two-day Ofsted inspection is a a different story. But there does need to be checks uh, in-house by leadership, by uh, members of the uh, wider team, um, and we do need to make sure that our children are receiving the best education that they possibly can. Um, But as I say, great leadership teams within great trusts are doing all of this already. Um, Ofsted really is just a a, a further check for that.
0: Mm. And I suppose that the schools that aren't lucky enough to be in um, good trusts, that they're the ones that are going to maybe benefit from having that offset oversight, because there, there isn't oversight elsewhere.
1: Well there are ways for schools to work collaboratively. Obviously a trust is going to give a framework for that and Maritime does that really effectively. Um, but there are ways of working collaboratively uh, within local authorities and across schools and, and that has got to be the way forward.
0: Mm. And the other problem which seems to continue in the education sector is recruiting and keeping teachers in jobs. So that the teacher supply model, which is the target set by the government to recruit a certain number of, of teachers, um, that wasn't met at the primary school level um, last year. And, and actually, I don't know if it's ever been met. I'd have to check that. Um, how can the government convince more people to become teachers?
1: Okay, I don't think the recruitment and retention uh, target has been met for at least the last seven years, if I'm right. Um, So it is an issue and we are conscious of that. Um, What we have got to do as a profession is become really efficient at skilling up people, teachers uh, and other staff that work within schools that are absolutely crucial to children's success. And we need to do that as school leadership teams and wider teams across trusts, because it isn't a it isn't a case of reducing our expectations, or in fact reducing the teacher workload. What we need to do um, to ensure that they have a healthy work life balance is really harness the collaborative opportunities that are out there, that will actually uh, reduce uh, workload in the longer term, because if we can share uh, best practice, share planning, share resources, uh, share knowledge, that's going to benefit everybody. So again, working in a trust is going to put the framework in to uh, enable that. to be a teacher and to work in a school, you have to be highly passionate, committed, uh, interested about education and about children. And when that happens, um, it is the best and most rewarding job in the, in the world, I would argue. Um, however, if the uh, stresses of that and the workload makes it so that you're Uh, you're feeling that um, pressure uh, continuous because it is continuous then obviously as leadership teams we need to be looking at ways to support our teachers to be able to to do the best that they can
0: Mm. and you you initially said there that that it's not necessarily about reducing workload yet that that workload problem is one of the things that seems to consistently come up when people talk about the teaching they say that people some people outside of the education sector think you're there 9 to 5, and that's it. But actually, you've got the planning prior to the 9 a.m., and when you finish, you've got all the marking and more planning. Um, and, and it almost, I mean, some of the people I know, for example, in an anecdotal level that are teachers, they, they've they gone into a job they didn't quite realise that they would spend a lot of their week in that job. But is there any real way of, of reducing a workload? In this job
1: there is a real way when i say it's not about uh, reducing workload i mean it's not about reducing expectations we can share workloads so when collaboration is effective um, it really does work and it will reduce uh, it will reduce workloads in the longer term but we've got to get to that point. So it is a case now, for example, at Maritime, uh, we're creating um, a whole package which includes a filming of best practice right across the the day. So, uh, and actually not just teachers, but uh, support staff as well, which will support our teachers in becoming uh, better at planning, delivering lessons, interacting with children, uh, picking up on misconceptions at the point of teaching, uh, live marking so that we don't have to mark away from the lesson as much as uh, possibly we've had to do in the past, assessment for learning. So uh, we're going to have a resource at Maritime that's going to support in skilling people up because when you look at workload, Um, Obviously, some of that workload does need to be, uh, things that aren't needed to be done need to just be taken away. But when it's core aspects of the job that we cannot dilute, uh, when we have skilled people uh, doing those jobs, it is going to, um, it's not going to take them as long. um, And that's what we need to be looking at. Um, So for example, example, at my current school, we're looking at uh, more efficient ways of assessing children that don't require uh, arduous amounts of paperwork. But it doesn't mean that our tu- our teachers don't know and understand our children uh, any less. It just means that there isn't the paper trail to um, th- that we require them to-, to do. Does there
0: need to be a conversation then around postgraduate teaching courses? Because presumably you come straight off of a course like that and you know best practices because that's the idea of those courses. You come and you, you, you are ready to be a teacher, an NQT. So is there a, a conversation that needs to be had about um, actually slightly changing the way that people are taught in postgrad courses so they can hit the ground running and know best practices and not have to work as longer hours as might be possible if you know how to streamline your work?
1: Uh, Well, one of the the things I would say is if you're going to become a teacher for the first couple of years at least, it is going to be a lot of hard work because you're learning your trade and that's really important. There needs to be support mechanisms and uh, uh, well-being, understanding uh, from leadership teams within the school. There needs to be very good and clear induction policies and procedures and there needs to be support because if we can get teachers through the i think it's the first 5 years they are much more likely to survive the longer term however we do need to attract resilient hard working people uh, alongside that we need to equip them with the skills in order to be the best that they can be um sorry what was the other part of your question
0: so i mean in order to, to get get hit all of those targets that you just mentioned would slightly changing the way postgraduate teaching courses help that
1: well there are that one of the complications really with uh, teaching is there are so many routes into it so we have uh, uh, teachers who come into the profession that possibly have got a degree in education that uh, it it, it is a longer route into the profession there are also PGCEs that uh, combine theory with practice where teachers, uh, training teachers spend a long time within the class and within the school setting alongside their academic uh, theoretical work. And there are also other uh, ways and means to become a teacher that require you to be in school uh, a lot of the time and with, uh, with minimal uh, un- university uh, input. Um, All of those ways can produce really highly successful teachers, Um, really we are dependent on the quality of the provision within the school to enable that to be as successful as it can be and I would again go back to induction policies and procedures to make sure that everybody who is training to be a teacher gets the uh, best possible opportunities that they can uh, receive.
0: Joanne, thank you very much.
1: Thank you. The KM Community Podcast. Bringing you stories from Kent's communities every week.